Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host for today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, Mr. Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing today? Doing good, Michael. Uh, back on the new and improved Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm loving it. Same here. Uh, but what we did not love was last night was the Motown meltdown as the Thunder lose after having a 15-point halftime lead. They finished the game losing 112-103. to What did you think from that game? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was the classic tale of two halves thing. I mean, the the Pistons could not make anything in the first half. The, just couldn't get any threes to fall. And they came out in the third quarter, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, where, where did this come from? It was a three-point barrage. Detroit started the third on a 29-8 to eight run. Then they started the fourth on a 10-2 to two run. So the Thunder's 15-point halftime advantage was quickly quickly gone I, I thought the thunder made it interesting down the stretch a little bit but then detroit pulled away again it was just like you know i am sure we'll talk about shay gilgis alexander he was you know it was a master class by him yet again um but the thing that stood out is like he had those two driving kicks in in crunch time one to mescala one to uzman jang both missed. It's just like, you know, they, they've got to have more shooting around them. And um, as, as we've talked about all season, this is just a, not a good three-point shooting team. I completely agree. And you mentioned Shea's masterclass. He comes out strong once again, 21 the first half, most of that coming in the first quarter, finishes with 33 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and tied a career high with four blocks, including one steal. Just an overall great game from Shea. Uh, the rest of the guys, not so much. He did look unguardable at times. Uh, he was just cutting through the Pistons' defense and probing for all times, uh, all types of mid-range shots. I did look this up. Outside of Shea, the team shot 35% from the field. Yeah. I mean, it, it passes the eye test, right? Like, it, yeah. sometimes it looks like it's just him out there and no one else. And you mentioned this stat line again, those four blocks. Like, the Thunder put out this note yesterday that, only two players in NBA history have averaged at least 30 points, um, two steals, and one block per game. And it was Dwayne Wade in 2008-09, and then Michael Jordan did it three times. And Shea's on pace to do that this season. I know it's very, very early, but that's the kind of numbers he's putting up. Yeah, if you have a list with those two other guys as the names, I think you're in pretty good company, doing a pretty good job. But like you mentioned, just a tale of two halves. They only score 40 in the entire second half after having around over uh, 65 in the first half. The offense just felt like it was stalling to me a lot in the second. Um, I think it felt like that because it was. I mean, you know, when, when shots aren't falling and they're just bleeding. I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but they're just bleeding minutes when or bleeding points when Shea Gilgis Alexander is off the floor. I've got the on off net ratings pulled up. So when Shea is on the floor, the Thunder is plus 2.4 um, in net rating. And when he's off the floor, they're minus 10.1. So he's got he's got the biggest gap there between his on off numbers. Basically, uh, the Thunder is just getting shredded anytime he's off the floor. Yeah, it's it's crazy just to see that because you'd think that an offense with Giddy holding up the second unit because they are staggered a lot would be better. But speaking of Josh Giddy, no Josh Giddy to close out another game along with Orlando. Um, he didn't close out coming off an injury, and it seemed like that was a little bit you know more rational. He didn't even start the second half. But is this sh- something we should be looking into? I mean, he did not play the final eight minutes of this game, Joe. I think it is because this didn't happen last season. I mean, Josh Giddy was always in the starting lineup. He was always in the closing lineup. Um, and this season, I don't know if it's injury-related, like perhaps that ankle sprain is still bothering him. Um, I think it's a combination of two things. Probably the ankle sprain. Um, I'm going to go three things. It's still early. He's playing like seven games this season. But third, it's it's really hard, especially when you're behind and have that injury, to sort of um, understand like how to best fit in next to Shea. And we were talking about this last season, but Shea's an even different player this season. It's like everyone on the court knows that the ball should be in his hands and he's the one um, who is he's like this heliocentric offense. So Josh, that's not really how he plays. So I think he's still trying to, to get in, into the rhythm. I'm not worried long-term. I mean, I think there's long-term questions, but you know, we have a couple seasons to figure that out. Um, but in the short term, like, 
Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Like, why is Josh Giddy not closing games? Yeah, I won't pretend to be a coach here, but I would like to just see them just play these guys together just through it and just kind of work through it rather than kind of beating around the bush and playing around. Obviously, winning is important, but this season it doesn't feel like it should be the priority over just working that chemistry between those two guys. Yeah, I've been surprised with the staggered minutes because, you know, say the Thunder is two to three years down the line and both of these guys are still on the roster and the Thunder is really competing for something. And they just realized, okay, you know, we're better with, with Shea out there by himself, staggering the minutes, Giddy basically being that backup point guard. Like, I could see if that was the case a few years from now. Um, I don't really get the argument for it now because, like you said, like this is they're still in the experimental phase. And we all talked about going into the season, one of the things we we're most looking forward to is to see how that fit works. And we're not seeing it even every game because uh, they're, they're staggering the minutes. So um, very early, but, but certainly something that's notable. Yeah, another notable thing. The Thunder in a lot of these games have been coming back from behind from big leads, but this one they had a big lead. What do you think it is, um, I guess, different for them playing with a lead and learning how to win that way? Yeah, I don't know. I think this one was a bit of an anomaly just with how hot Detroit came out there in that second half. It's like, you know, what are you supposed to do? The Thunder had some decent offensive possessions, I thought, but they just couldn't get any stops uh, certainly, they're not a team that's that's used to having the the lead. Usually, they uh, they play the role of the comebacker. But the, the Thunder was actually favored in this game, which kind of surprised me. I know Detroit's got up to a bad start, but just going on the road, I figured Detroit would be the favorite. But you're you're kind of flipping roles in the sense that like Detroit's a team that hasn't had a really bad start to the season, and they're like they're playing the Thunder's role in trying to to get that upset and, and get that comeback. And then last from that game, um, I was just wondering, did you think that Shea was a little bit too unselfish down the stretch? You mentioned that he had a master class, but he'd have those uh, two kickouts to Muscala and Jang that just weren't made. He mentioned the other day in a press conference, you know, I, you know, kind of passing. I got to get my teammates involved. I can't do it all. But yeah. uh, what did you think from that one? Should he be more maybe assertive down the stretch in some of these games when he is cooking like this? Yeah, I want to hear your answer to this as well. But my... My gut instinct is, you know, he was doing the he was making the right play and he wasn't being too unselfish. I mean, I don't think, you know, again, it goes back to like where is the Thunder right now as far as trying to, you know, compete. And I know he's out there trying to win the game, but I think this is a good time to try to get your teammates involved and try to, you know, have them have the ball in their hands and knowing that a big shot is on the line and they have to contribute as well. So I think, you know, we'd also be talking well, we probably wouldn't be talking if he was forcing things up because it would be understandable. Um, but that that could be another topic like, oh, Shea's just forcing things because no one else can do anything. But now he's driving and kicking and finding the wide open man in the corner for like the most sought after shot in basketball. I don't think you can really argue with that. Yeah, I agree. I think some of it is just playing the results, looking at it, because if they do hit those shots, you go, oh, man, look at Shea, look how unselfish he is. He's cooking right now, and he still trusts his teammates to hit these shots down the stretch. Not many guys would do this. But then if he does take those shots down the stretch, like you mentioned, you'd think of him a little bit differently maybe, or maybe he takes those st shots down the stretch and makes them, and you're like, oh, look, he's a killer now. So a lot of this does have to do with just what ends up happening if he if those guys do make those shots obviously we're not talking about it today also if there was like a long history of this like him shying away from like big moments I mean we've seen him hit some very clutch shots we've seen him hit game winners and um, I don't think any of us like question whether or not he's like afraid in crunch time or like is willing to take that big shot so if if there was a precedent of that maybe it would be like oh man he did it again but I'm not too worried about that at all same here. Something I am worried about, though, is some of those bothersome bench minutes like you talked about earlier with the plus minus with Shea. The Thunder have just been, I won't even say bad, they've been awful this year in those minutes uh, with the bench out there without Shea. Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk through this one. I mean, part of me, it's it's hard to like make blanket observations about this because the starting lineup you know changes almost every game so it's like they don't have as 
not only the starting lineup, but they don't have like a steady second unit. It's different guys in there um, every game. Like one of my favorite weird stats so far this season is Aaron Wiggins has three starts and three DNPs, um, which is just really strange. But we're still not getting a good feel yet, and I don't think they have a good feel yet for which of those um, second unit combinations really work. But also, I think when you have Shea off the floor, Dort off the floor, and I know they're staggering Giddy, but uh, you've got Mike Mescal and Kenrich Williams playing vet minutes, and, and they're very reliable. But then you've got a bunch of young guys, Trey Mann, a second-year player, Usman Jang, a, a rookie, um, Jalen Williams, a rookie. So it's, I think it just comes back to youth and an experience, honestly, and, and them not you know, having a ton of it. Yeah, and you hit the nail right on the head. I think that the inconsistent rotation is a big part of it because you see with a lot of these teams, you know exactly when you're coming in, you know exactly who you're probably playing with outside of maybe one guy shifted into the lineup or maybe not. But like you mentioned with Aaron Wiggins, some guys will start and then play big minutes and then just nothing the next game, which is pretty uh, different compared to what you see with a lot of teams. But we'll, we'll see how this pans out. I Big question I had off the bench is who should – be running the offense you know Trey is supposed to be this microwave six man yet the offense still kind of stalls you can't really just depend on the staggered Shay and Giddy lineups but mm-hmm. I don't know it doesn't feel like there's a real steady hand on the second unit unless one of those guys is out there they don't really have like a traditional backup point guard I, I mean if Jay if J-Dub um J-Dub's really interesting because he he started a couple games now if he comes off the bench, he can be that backup point guard, but he can also like start at the four or like, you know, play one through four on the second unit as well. So not a, you know, point guard only guy, obviously Trey Mann, He's a guy you certainly want out there to, to just bring some much needed burst to that second unit, but not a traditional point guard. I'm not saying you have to have a traditional point guard, but like not even a guy who you're comfortable, you know, uh, handling a bulk of possessions. And then past that, I mean, you know, when they have, I know Poku's hurt, but sometimes Poku initiates the offense. Sometimes um, Usman Jang is going to be out there initiating the offense. They they just don't have one guy in particular, especially when SGA is always going to start, Giddy's always going to start, but especially when J-Dub starts. And if they don't really stagger the minutes between SGA and Giddy, you, you don't have like, okay, Here's here's uh, the commander of the second unit. Here's what we're going to do. It, it kind of changes roles on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, all these guys can handle the ball on the roster. I think that's a big uh, thing with the team building. But they're all guys who can handle it, but not all of them you want handling it for a large majority of the game or a lot of possessions. Usman Jang here and there, right. that's great. Poku, that's great. But they're not somebody who you want just being that steady hand to lead the second unit like I guess we're hoping for to see from somebody like Trey or uh, J-Dub. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like they have, they we've talked about this a lot, the type of player they've drafted. They've got guys who can make the next pass and make an extra pass and see the floor well and, and make quick decisions, but not like primary ball handlers um, that, that we're sort of used to. And I think this is such an, interesting contrast as we watch this team just going back to the Shea conversation a little bit when he is um just this lethal with the ball in his hands and and can you know just torch teams out of isolations and just get him the ball the thunder has surrounded him by players like giddy and jang and poku and j-dub to some extent of like this is how they want to play they want to play this offense where everyone touches the ball, everyone's moving it. They're always looking for the open shot. And it's like, okay, like now some of these guys have to be play finishers. Some of these guys have to learn to shoot if Shea is going to be this guy. And it's like, do you bend Shea more to the type of offense you were envisioning? Or do you start like slowly not, not rebuilding the roster, but like shaping the roster around him? Because um right now i think it's a little in flux and i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's just kind of fascinating to watch from the outside yeah it's a good problem to have whenever your best player is so good that it's making you kind of rethink how you need to do your offense because he's that great i think it also tells you like you know the thunder is honest about this as well they 
they didn't know how they obviously required Shea in that trade, but they didn't know how good he was going to be initially. I, I don't know if they even anticipated the step he's taken this season. That's just like credit to him and the offseason work and just gradually getting better. And like you said, it's it's a good problem to have because the best thing you can have in the NBA is a superstar. The next best thing is two superstars. And then you just try to acquire talent and build around them. And it's clear that the Thunder has, you know, I'm not going out on a limb, but like one true superstar right now to build around. For sure. And then the last thing that I'll touch on with some of the bothersome bench minutes and just this isn't an overall team problem. The Thunder Joe are 29th in free throws attempted per game. Yeah. So whenever you you can't hit threes (laughs) and then it's having trouble finishing if you're not getting those easy ones to the line. And I would guess they would be dead last if they didn't have Shea on the team. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned this when we uh, got on last Thursday. Friday, uh, Tuesday, what, whatever day that was. But like, you know, Shea doesn't have that volume of free throw attempts that some of these other, you know, guys who drive the ball at close to his rate do. So if you take that out of the equation, yeah, it's going to look really ugly. And you think about those guys on the second unit, like, you know, Trey Mann's not really attacking the rim that hard, looking for contact. Poku never gets fouled. I mean, Usman Jang, like, they don't have that aggressive type players on, on the second unit and free throws can be a stabilizer, free buckets. And if you're not getting those, you're just putting a lot of pressure on shot making and they haven't made any shots. Well, and you see that from great players all the time of just like, let's calm things down. Let me go draw a foul. Let me get to the free throw line and just like pad this a little bit and calm everything down. But the Thunder don't really have that outside of Shea. And I guess on the second unit, maybe J-Dub and Kenrich would be the closest after that. Hey man, Darius Baisley, he'll put the ball on the floor. That's a good and, uh, point. Yeah, sack the basket. I don't know if you always want that, but uh, he is willing to do it. No, someone tweeted out last night that he had tunnel vision. And I said that might be a little bit too wide. I think it was about a, a straw. Yeah, let let me say something nice about Darius Baisley though. The offense, I think it's fine if maybe you don't want to give up on it, but I I sort of am at the point where I'm excusing the the ball stickiness, the clunkiness of his offensive game, because he's he's playing like a madman on defense and um, had a great possession against Cade Cunningham last night where Cade drives baseline, Baisley stays with him step for step. Uh, Cade tries to get, get him up in the air with a fake. Baisley doesn't bite, stays down. Once, once Cade goes up, Baisley pins it against the backboard. And, you know, he's, he's such a versatile defender. But, yeah, man, you, you just like – you just want something more from him offensively and to like understand what they're trying to do. And um, he doesn't really, uh, he's not really getting there, but the defense has been incredible. I think the defense is definitely keeping him on the floor. A lot of it's been talked about his shot blocking, but like you mentioned, just his versatility and being able to switch on different guys. And just, we're all hoping for him to string a couple back-to-back possessions of good play offense and defense. But um, speaking of needing some different trends, it's been some sad shooting in Oklahoma city this season from three, Joe. They're only shooting 29.2% from three this year. Is this just a cold stretch, or is it something that is going to be a thorn in the side of this team all uh, for the entire season, or are they just a bad three-point shooting team? Um, I'm going to say numbers two and three. It's going to be a thorn in their side the entire season, and, and they're a bad three-point shooting team. Um, this uh, we, we've, we've got a decent... Uh, data set for this i mean the thunder like you said 29 percent shooting this year that's 29th in the nba the lakers are slowly catching up to them so that might soon be 30th you go back to last season they were the uh dead last right i, I should have looked yeah dead last they shot 32.3 percent. the pistons were 29th you back you go back to 2020 2021 the thunder was 29th so they've been 29th 30th, 29th. Um, uh, Consistent, but not in a good way. (laughs) It's it's very bad. They've, I mean, I guess in their defense, they they haven't, they're not at a point now where they're feeling pressured to like bring in shooters to, you know, try to like win games now. And they're also drafting guys that, you know, hopefully they have some shooting upside. Um, 
but we we talked about the main players they're they're targeting. Although I saw AJ Griffin go off last night, and I was thinking, look pretty good next to Shea. But that's a one game sample. I know everyone, but just just let me have my moment. Uh, yeah, and uh, I guess I'd ask, you know, maybe are the wrong guys shooting the most threes? I mean, Dort right now is at fifty seven threes attempted through ten games. He's taking around obviously five a game, and he's making nineteen percent of those. Just not great. And then Trey is second on the team with 51 threes attempted. That's about five a game. He's making 36% of those, but he was uh, 27% before last night when he went three of six against Detroit. I think after that, the next closest like threes attempted is Muscala and JRE with like maybe 30 each. Yeah, it it is crazy. And like Dort's three point attempts are actually down, which is mind blowing uh, in and of itself. But Andrew Schlecht put out a good good note on this from last night, just like how early Dort is taking his threes in the shot clock. And it's like, okay, if it's... My thinking about an above-the-break Dort three is that you can get that at any point in the possession. So, like, if things break down, they're still not going to close out hard to him. He's going to have that shot available. So just dribbling the ball down the floor and then, you know, taking a a Dort three from the wing with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. I I don't really think that's going to be good offense for the thunder. We've talked a ton about his three point shooting. He's, he certainly seems to have the green light and they're going to give him those opportunities. Um, I think Trey Mann should be up there as far as most three pointers attempted. The thing that's skewing all of this is Shea who is like completely gone away from even attempting threes in these last few games. And, you know, I know he had a down shooting season last year, but I think I think the 41% from two years ago was a bit of an outlier. And I think how bad he shot last season was a bit of an outlier. I think he could settle in between 35, 37%. Um, they're not really, the offense isn't really set up to get Shea catch and shoot threes. It's the other way around, but like, if they were to able to get him some some better looks, or if he was even willing to take more of them, um, even force a few of them, like some of them are going to go in. I, I think that would help their three point percentage. But like when one of your best offensive players is not taking threes, like the the numbers are going to look even worse. I agree. You took the words right out of my mouth just talking about um, Dort's shots being a little bit too early in the shot clock. And I was just wondering, maybe this is just a team thing in general, because right now they're seventh in pace in the league. They're first in shots attempted per game, but they're also 23rd in points per game. And I don't think this is some novel concept. I had a college coach who told us this about passing up good shots for great shots. And it feels like, like you mentioned, that Dort shot, it's going to be there later in the possession. You don't need to shoot it a pull-up three with 18 seconds left. If you work it around a little bit more, I promise you that shot will still be there by the end of the shot clock. Yeah. It's a good, those are interesting numbers you just threw out. It's, it's the uh, quantity over quality uh, uh, strategy is what the Thunder is doing right now. Yeah, uh, and you'd want quantity over quality, maybe if you have some better shooters, but I guess they're displaying the law of averages and the numbers, but it's not really working out at this point. Also, they're just like, I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about their their defense, and I, I wrote about this, but they're forcing so many turnovers, I, I think second in the league in that category, and, and they're, they turn it over the third fewest times. This is... Don't don't correct me today because I haven't looked, but this was uh, before the game last night. So they're turning they're turning it over very little. They're turning other teams over a lot. So they're getting those extra possessions, but a lot of times they're not capitalizing off of them. Yeah, let's get right into the defense. And you mentioned I saw the stat on Basketball Reference. I think they're number one in turnovers per game and number one in forcing turnovers per game, which is. Pretty good, balances out some of the three-point shooting, but still an issue. But you wrote in your article talking about how they're defending. But I just wanted to ask you, you know, what's going on to this? Is it um, a scheme thing? Is it personnel? Is it preparation? What do you think is the biggest factor in this top 10 defense so far this season? Yeah, so that's the question I I wanted to answer. Because last season, before the All-Star break, they had the number eight defense. And you're thinking, how the heck are they the number eight defense with you know, playing Isaiah Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Derek Favors. 
in this season, again, very, very early. Um, but before the game yesterday, they were they were sixth in defensive rating. And it's like, okay, we've now got combining pre-All-Star break last season when they were at full strength to or close to full strength to to the first, you know, whatever games this season. It's about a 66-game sample of them being not only an above-average defense, but a top-10 defense. And I was just, you know, asking Mark Dagnall, asking Darius Baisley, like, what goes into this? Because we often associate dominant defenses with dominant rim protectors, and the Thunder does not have that or anything close to that. Like, we mentioned Darius Baisley's blocked shots, but it's not like, you know, coming out of, you know, traditional spots, it's like blocking some jump shots or, like, blocking guys on drive stuff, thing, things like that. It's not like this, like, help side rim protector who's erasing everything at the rim. And Mark Degnault's very first comment when I asked him about this, he said, it's not complicated what we're doing. We try to be very disciplined to fundamentals. And then the personnel, people can have opinions about that. But the one thing you can't take away is Dort as a point of attack defender. So Dort was the first name he mentioned. And he, he was basically saying, like, sure, you want to have good rim protection, but if you have a point of attack defender like Dort, you're stopping guys from even getting to the rim. So then, you know, not what's the point of having a rim protector, but there's less of an onus on having one if you've got such a good perimeter defender in Dort. Then he mentioned Darius Baisley. He talked about that Dallas game when they were able to play Doncic straight up down the stretch um, with Dort rather than doubling him and, and perhaps uh, giving the Mavs an open look. So that goes into a lot of it. I also think so much of it is like Dagnalt deserves a ton of credit, as does Dave Bliss, uh, Thunder assistant, as does Eric Maynard. Those guys have really helped with the defense. And Bliss is basically the the day-to-day defensive coordinator, if you will. And I think the Thunder just really buys into their scheme. I think they really work hard and, and are a high-effort team. Um and I think Shea, him taking that leap this year has really brought everything together because, one, he's a really good defender, and two, um, just the buy-in from his teammates when they see him defending it at that level. And I'll, I'll shut up here in a minute, but just to, to rattle off some, some uh, hustle stats. So the Thunder is, they rank first in loose balls recovered per game. They're first in charges drawn. They're seventh in deflections. So like all of these like little things, it's like these effort plays that we can quantify. I mean, they're like just destroying everyone in those in addition to playing pretty sound defense. So I think all of those little things have sort of overcome the lack of personnel and has made the Thunder like a legit defensive team. Well, and that's what you like to see from a younger team is doing a lot of the small things and the detail work that usually, you know, rookies and guys with not a lot of experience don't tend to do. But I'm I'm really excited for this season, and I think there is a rim protector waiting in the wings for the Thunder with Chet Holmgren. Uh, but you mentioned it, you know, most of these defenses that are higher up in the league are anchored by a, a great center, a great shot blocker. You just look through the history of... Uh, defensive player of the year you have your Rudy Gobert's your Dwight Howard's your guys like that Giannis's I mean there's a reason that Marcus Smart was the first guard to win defensive player of the year since Gary Payton in the 90s it's because yeah, most of the what time Brooke Lopez yeah, is doing this year for the Bucks so it's just most of the time we equate great defense with a great shot blocker great inside presence and most of the time that's just how it is but yeah, um, it, I, go ahead no I, I mean you you brought up Chad and I, I didn't include this in the story, but Mark was basically like, you know, it's too early to think about that. But I am curious, like, if if Chet is what we think he can be defensively, certainly the defensive game plan is going to shift around having one of those elite rim protectors and shot blockers um, down there. So, I mean, I think he's going to fit in pretty seamlessly and, you know, him combined with that pretty stout perimeter defense, it should only help things. Yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to watch. I mean, we obviously got teases in Summer League and some things like that where he looked incredible, but just looking forward, uh, just be patient, but uh, should be fun as soon as Chet does get back in the lineup. Yeah, exactly.
All right. Um, with expectations this season kind of shifting, the Thunder start out 0-3, then win um, a few games in a row, and now we're on an, another losing streak here. I just want to talk about expectations and just ask about, you know, where are we now? You know, the Thunder have talked over and over about how this season is more about process than results. But I just wanted to talk about what the process is, where the ter- uh, what pr- uh, part of the process the team currently is in. I'll go through the earlier steps in the process of the rebuild, and then we can talk about what should be the expectations for this season based on where the team is so far. So retooling is the first part that I have here. That's the Paul George and the Russell Westbrook trade for Shea, Gallo, all the Clippers picks until the year 3000, and then the rest for CP3 trade with uh, picks attached. After that is the diving into the rebuild stage, which is trading off Schroeder, Adams, and CP3, and others offer more draft capital and assets. 2020 is the first real rebuilding tank year. Al Horford sits for a lot of that season. Shea has his plantar fasciitis tear. This results in the giddy pick after OKC falls in the lottery and the Houston pick does not convey. The team focuses more on development and, um, you know, just trying to get the best draft odds possible. They also pick up Trey Mann, JRE, and Aaron Wiggins. And then last season, we have Gideon Shea for the entire year, figuring it out and trying to get that combination. A leap season from Dort, and the team once again focuses on development and tanking for the best possible draft odds, and they jump up to number two to pick Chet Holmgren. They trade up with three first-round picks to get Uzman Jang at 11 and then draft Jalen Williams with the Clippers pick at 12. So I just wanted to ask you for this year, 2022, what should be the expectations for this team? What are they aiming for and anything like that? What should fans be expecting? Yeah, I don't think it's changed too much from where it was at the start of the season. I think that, you know, many winning streak may have, um, it was certainly exciting. I don't want to take anything away from that. Shea's played awesome. The, t- the team was playing great. It- it's fun to see fans engaged again, but I think it's just goes back to, Hey, it's, it's very early. Like you could still fall on a three game losing streak and lose at the Pistons. Like this is the way it works um, for young teams. Basically, this is how I look at it. The Thunder is in its third season of the rebuild. There are two drafts into the rebuild. They get Josh Giddy, as you lined out, a disappointment on lottery night. I think it turned into a best-case scenario for, for picking sixth. Then last season, Chet Holmgren um, plus J-Dub and Usman Jang. They're missing the biggest piece of that in Chet Holmgren right now. SGA has, has taken that leap. I think next season is like the first year where there's – um, I don't want to like speak for the Thunder, but I think at least from the outside, there's expectations of them taking um, some sort of notable leap as far as like being a, a semi-competitive team. I, I don't think there are those expectations this season because it's like, look, our number two pick's not playing. You know, they're still the youngest team in the NBA. Like, and and a lot of that checks out. And and you look at the numbers, like, um. The Thunder is uh, has a minus 2.1 point differential. That's 10th right now in the West in net rating. They're 21st. So I think we're going to see gradual improvements um, from last season. We've already seen that with Shea. I think this is a better team. There's no doubt about that. There's more talent. Um, there's more experience. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to end in a better record. I still think it will. I still think this is around a 30-win team, which is a six-game improvement from last season. But as we've talked about, with the strength of the rest of the NBA um, and just their youth, like I, you know, like people were talking play-in um, after after that winning streak, and who knows? Maybe I'm the idiot, and they'll they'll be a play-in team. But like internally, that's not the goal right now for the Thunder. Um, but if it happens, it's going to happen. Um, but I, I would just say, you know, enjoy this season because I think it'll be the last four year where we're even having this conversation. Like I think next year and the year after that, it's going to be, it's going to hit us in the face. It's going to be pretty clear, like what phase the Thunder is in. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying they're going to be a good team next year, but like the pieces will be there where you wouldn't expect them to pick in the lottery again, right? Like we, we kind of have gone into this year thinking this will be the last season. The Thunder is a lottery team. Um, if they're picking high in the lottery in 2024, uh, I think then something something went a little wrong. Um, you know, player didn't work out, someone's hurt, um, and it's going to be extended a year, but um, not counting on that to happen. 
I would say just sit back and relax. Like you mentioned, the season is still early. That and just this season to me is a lot of just gravy or icing on the cake after the Chet pick of there aren't a lot of real expectations. No matter where you finish in the standings, you can almost think of Chet as your number one pick for this year. Um, Whether they make the plan or are at the bottom of the lottery, it doesn't really change a lot for me. I think that you can just really enjoy this team for what it is and not really focus too much on the wins or losses. I mean, if you want the team to win, obviously you're going to focus on that more. If you're on the tank campaign for Victor Wimman Yama, you're going to want losses. But other than that, I wouldn't be too stressed about a lot of these games like fans were in the past couple of years, just watching the team when Isaiah Roby makes seven threes on the road against Denver and losing their minds because they're going to lose draft odds. But I don't think this year you can really, you don't need to feel that way because the team is not bad enough to tank even if they wanted to with a guy like Shea on the team with the level he's playing at. There's just no possible way you're probably going to catch teams like Houston, Orlando, San Antonio, Indiana, and et cetera, who just have far less talent than the Thunder and especially top end and talent than a guy like Shea. And it's not a it's not only talent, it's like organizational competence. Like I, I don't have I mean, it all might work out for the Rockets. They might get Victor Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson and be set for the next decade. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in like them knowing what they're doing right now. And they're, they're acquiring talent, but I don't think there's a real plan. And, um, Detroit, uh, somewhat of a similar position, although I have like, like their drafts, but like you see them, uh, on the court and I know they won last night, but like, there's, there's not that level of cohesion that I think you see with this Thunder team. So it goes back to what I was saying, like they're they're better this year than they were last year. I don't think that's even um, an argument. Um, but like, you know, don't don't have sky high expectations. Like, if you want to look at this very simplistically, forget everything we said about the top ten defense. Forget everything we said about them not being able to make a three point shot if their life depend dependent on it. Just like if you want to narrow your focus and peer through a straw, just appreciate what Shea is doing right now because like this guy is putting up outrageous numbers and on outrageous efficiency and playing on the defensive end and it's like the whole point of this rebuild is to get a star talent and we've been calling him a star before this season but like it's inarguable now this year he's playing like a top 20 player in the league a top 15 player in the league and um, he's just going to raise their floor to an extent that you know, I don't think we're going to be having that conversation at the end of the year where it's like, oh, someone made, you know, too many threes and the Thunder stumbled into a win. I think, you know, if he's if he keeps up this pace, barring injury, he's going to keep playing because he might be fighting for all NBA votes. Yeah, he's just playing at all um, all NBA level. That's for sure. He's playing great basketball right now. But like you mentioned, I just don't think there's too much to sweat about right now. Enjoy the season. Have fun. If you're rooting for losses, go for that. If you're rooting for wins, go for that. But I yeah. wouldn't. I'm having fun covering this team. I mean, I'm like a bunch of good guys on the roster. Every night we're watching, okay, how does J-Dub develop? How does Jang develop? Like, you know, you know, look at what Dort and Baisley are doing defensively. Look at what Shea's doing offensively. Like, look at Trey Mann's step back. Like, every night is exciting, um, win or loss, and like, you know, at the end of the last two seasons, it hasn't been that way. I know we're at the beginning of the season now, um, but I, I'm enjoying covering this team. Yeah, same here. The guys are really great to talk to. They're uh, really cool. Mark has been great to us. And then just the pace and the fun of this team and just watching these guys develop and take these leaps. Like just, I mean, you've been watching Chase in college and just watching mm-hmm. how much he's developed since then to now. But it's been a lot of fun watching this team. And more than anything, the best part of it is that they are truly competitive. They're not some team where they're just going out and losing games. But, I mean, they had the Milwaukee game. But other than that, they've been in there in most of those games, if not, like, down the stretch. Yeah, there's been a lot of crunch time opportunities, a a lot of close games. And um, more than anything, like, from an entertainment factor, that's all anyone can ask for. And then the last thing before we get out of here... Uh, vote of confidence today is national election day make sure to go to the oklahoma.com or read your paper for all the coverage there but we're going to vote on if we have confidence in this trend if it'll continue uh throughout the season that'll be a vote of confidence or we'll have not 
a vote of no confidence. This will be like three to five quick uh, fire questions that we can talk about. Are you ready, Joe? I, I, I love this game. You got it's your so voters timely. cap on your ballot. It's it's so timely. I haven't voted yet. I'm going to go out soon. Uh, this is kind of like voting for like the, the judge races that you have to do research for because, you know, unless you're super plugged in, you don't know much about them, but it's like a vote of confidence or no confidence. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, not take this super seriously and uh, equate it to Thunder basketball. Let's do it. Exactly. All right. Can Shea make an all defensive team if he keeps up this level of play? You mentioned in your article, the level he's playing at, and you mentioned Michael Jordan and Dwayne Wade and some of those things. Some of those guys I'll uh, I'll read you off last year's all defensive teams. First team okay. was Giannis. Mikhail Bridges, Rudy Gobert, Marcus Smart, Jaron Jackson. Second team was Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Matisse Teibel, and uh, the Time Lord, Robert Williams. I have no confidence. I have zero confidence that uh, Shea could be could make an all-defensive team. And let me, let me explain myself. So much of... All defense. First off, it's just harder for voters in general to, you know, defense is harder to quantify. It's hard to have like solid defensive metrics. Like Mark Degnall talked about this. It's like, be careful what numbers um, you look at. A lot of it is reputation based. And all those guys, like anyone who follows the NBA knows those guys are legit defenders. Everyone's focused on what they do defensively. They're de- They're the defensive anchor of their respective teams. Um, Shea, despite his defensive gains, is still not talked about like Lou Dort and, you know, is, is still not that primary defender on his own team. And if the Thunder is going to have a losing record and, you know, if, if Shea is putting up these offensive numbers, like people are just going to pay more attention to that. I, I don't think like he's reached the point to where like other people are, we're talking about his defense. The rest of the NBA is talking about, oh, my gosh, have you seen what he's doing offensively? Um, so it's going to take that a, l- a little while to catch up. Um, but, yeah, no no confidence. I'm sorry about that. I agree. No confidence. Sorry to start off in a pessimistic way here on the voting <laughs> scale, talking about the Thunder. But Strike him down. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing, I would say, close to an all-defensive level. But part of the issue, like you talked about, it's a reputational award and some of those things it might take Shea three years of playing at this level just to get on the radar of an all defensive team plus the team needs to be winning and then on top of that you have the complications of there's only four guard spots on the entire list yeah yeah that's that's true so yeah I I don't have much confidence in that well let's see if you have more confidence in this one the Thunder will get to 33 percent uh, team shooting from three by the end of the season. You mentioned it earlier that in 2020, 2021, they shot 34% from three, which is the 29th worst in the league. Uh, 2021, 2022, which was last year, they shot 32% from three, which was the worst in the league. Can they get to 33% as a team this year? See, this one's tricky because, you know, the no confidence vote of confidence thing there, there's very little gray area in, yeah. in between here it's a it's a yes or no thing um i would say i have a teeny bit of confidence but if i was going to the polls and this was a question i'd probably vote no confidence because how can you have a lot like i i don't see I don't see how this is going to be, you know, that drastic of a turnaround. And like right now we're talking four percentage points. Um, So the personnel is not going to change. I I don't think the shot distribution is going to change all that much. I mean, they're not going to shoot 29%. I think they could shoot 30, 31, 32, but 33, eh. A, a little bit of confidence, but if I have to choose one, I'll say no confidence. I will choose to be optimistic and vote for confidence here. <laughs> I think some of these guys like Trey are just having some cold stretches. Obviously, there is just a lot of bad shooting on the team, but just a couple weeks of guys here and there getting hot, I think can change the tide for this team maybe a little bit and get them up to 33%, which is still not league average, but better than 29%, which they're at right now. Yeah, that'd be good. I, I hope it happens. Everyone likes to see shots go in. Why not? Yeah, just for fun. Let, let's see what would happen. <laughs> and then um, Jalen Williams started his second career game last night against Detroit. Will he start at least 15 games this season? Uh, for reference, the Thunder started 35 different five-man lineups last season. 
I am gonna I'm I'm gonna have a resounding vote of confidence on this one. I think I think J Dub, you said fifteen, right? Fifteen. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be north of fifteen. I, I think it could be in the thirty range. I, what am I basing this on? Nothing, because the the predicting the rotations are next to impossible. Um, but just the investment they've made in him, his his positional versatility, um, just you know, being an older rookie, knowing what he's doing out there, I think he's a guy that could easily settle in as um, if not an every night starter, a near every night starter. I agree. I have confidence in uh, J-Dub starting at least 15 games this season. Like you mentioned, just being an older rookie, he's looked really solid and really uh, seasoned and just not really overwhelmed by a lot of things. Like you see a lot of young players like Usman Jang kind of feeling right now. But I'll, I'll say he starts at least 15 games. He's been good in the games that he has started. Kind of, I don't know, he's very, very adaptable where Mark can just kind of throw him in and just say, we need you to do this tonight. And he can just do that at a pretty high level every day. Yeah, he got smacked in the face again last night. So if that happens again, I'd probably go no confidence um, for fear that his face gets bashed in. But a um, thicker mask or something like that. Yeah. Barring that happening, I I think you laid out all the reasons why we're both confident. And then for the last one here, should Shea be the favorite for most improved? So the current Vegas odds are Tyrese Maxey first, Laurie Market in second, Shea third Desmond Bain fourth and Devin Vassell as the top five odds wise should Shea be the odds on favorite for most improved through this point in the season man I have so much trouble with this one full disclosure I'm a voter and I voted for John Morant last year and John Mm -hmm. Morant won won the award and some people voted for John Morant to win some people didn't even have him on the ballot because it's like it's not like the NBA lays out, you know, what are the qualifications here? Because John Morant was already a good player. He turned into a superstar. And if voters follow that path, then Shea certainly could win the award. Um, the other difference is the Grizzlies were a better team than the Thunder is going to be, so that's going to hurt him. Um, but you look at, like, what Markinen is doing and what the Jazz is doing, and I don't who knows how long this fun story is going to last. But to me, right now, Laurie Markkinen would be number one on my ballot. But, like, it's it feels kind of hypocritical because, like, you know, he's gone from maybe an average NBA player to a good, very good NBA player. I don't, I don't know how you want to quantify it. It's hard um, to describe Shea's trajectory is different i'm talking in circles i need to answer i'm gonna <laughs> fill in what was the question what was it is he uh, gonna win is he gonna win should he be the fans? favorite right now yes no okay i agree with that yeah like you mentioned there <laughs> a lot of voters they um value winning over everything and laurie markinen going from just kind of a rotational piece to being one of the core guys, of the Utah jazz who through 10 games are the number one seed in the West Joe, which is everybody expected, obviously that the Utah jazz after trading Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell would be, somehow become a better team, but that's just insane. But I, I had no qualms with, uh, with Ja winning last year, I completely understood what you were coming from because it is the hardest leap to take from being an all-star to a superstar, which is why we've been raving about Shea so much is that he is taking that leap right now, and that's the hardest thing to do. So if he gets votes, I would not be surprised. But at the same time, guys like Laurie Markkinen, but through 10 games, should he be the favorite? I'll also say no confidence just because it's early and because, you know, the Jazz going on this miracle run has been the story of the NBA for a lot of the season outside of some of the drama. Let me let me say something that, could bolster Shea's case. Doing some last-minute research. Okay. The San Antonio Spurs last year went 34-48. and 48. The Thunder could reasonably go 34-48. and 48. Do you know who finished second in most improved player voting last year? Was it DeJounte Murray? It was DeJounte Murray. So there's there's a case, like, um, of... Uh, of a player on a bad team getting uh, getting a lot of votes. So Morant had 221 
points uh, without explaining exactly these points, but Murray was second with 183. Darius Garland was third, 178. Jordan Poole, Desmond Bain was fifth. Um, so Maxi was sixth. Some of these names you've already mentioned. But I would say that, you know, I think the perception was certainly that Shea was a better prospect than DeJounte Murray. And I think that sort of flipped last year. I don't know. I don't think I really bought it, or I don't think a lot of people who have watched Shea bought it. But, like, certainly from a national perspective, like, um, I think DeJounte Murray passed passed Shea. But I think that's flipped again. So um, I think it was yeah. just kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing because Shea missed so many games that you kind of forget how good he was. But I'm in the same ballpark and as like you. And just DeJounte's yeah. perception as a two-way player and, and everything which Shea has now. So, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting one. It's it's all about, you know, how you view this this award. For sure. All in the eye of the beholder, just like this Thunder Buddies pod, which if it's in our eyes... Pretty good, I'd say. I I have no confidence in my votes of confidence. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not confident I made the right decisions. But let's not already... let the NBA hear that if you have votes for awards that you have no confidence in your voting. Well, well, luckily the NBA doesn't make me pick after like the first month of the season. So, well, this is how you get real opinions right here: <laughs> is you ask random people on the street with no prep at all, "What do you think about yeah. these things?" <laughs> But get out today and vote. Like I mentioned before, um, listen to and read all the uh, election coverage from the Daily Oklahoma, and that's your best resource for that. But thanks again, Joe, for meeting me today. Uh, do you have anything else in the pipeline that you're working on? I know that uh, we talked about your defensive uh, piece that you did over the weekend. Yeah, I'm working on a couple more um, sort of human interest type feature stories. One on Jalen Williams, Shane Dub, um, and his uh, – parents being a military family and how that shaped him. That's coming out around Veterans Day in a few days and um, working on a cool story about Mark Dagnalt um, as well in a, in a family business. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there, but look out for those two stories. Definitely looking forward to that, but thank you so much again for listening to the Thunder Buddies. Make sure to tell all your friends about us. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And once again, thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Friday.